So earlier this morning, I did a live stream talking about how at this time right now, November 2022 and December 2022, just drinking me some coffee there, uh, but that around this time frame, it will mark 11 years since the Mecca Sally arc um, began and that next year in May and April of 2023 will mark 10 years since it ended. And when you look at that timeline, that's quite a long time for a story to go, focusing on one character's sacrifice, but on willing betrayal because of sacrifice that caused another character's future to go into shambles. And that because it caused that person's future to go into shambles, everything that that person had said was going to occur was actually happening. They just couldn't figure out, you know, the why, the who, and the when until, you know, this whole ordeal um, occurred. This whole ordeal occurred. But, with that said, this might sound a little crazy. This might sound a little crazy. And I know I might get some flack for it. But when you really think about it, if it wasn't for Ken Pendence's lawsuit that, yes, unfortunately took a lot of very popular characters away from us that he had created, if it wasn't for his lawsuit, you know, doing all that, maybe we wouldn't have gotten the quick ending to this unfortunate bore fest that we got. And I say that with all honesty because as everybody from Fantastic Fantastic to Cyberpunk Jordan to others that have touched upon this, Mega Beatman, you name it, a lot of people basically will tell you that even though the story started out good and picked up a little bit, especially with the weaponization that, as I mentioned in the live stream, got a lot of people talking to whether or not he gutted her or just wielded, you know, armor, weaponized armor onto her, which, again, the gutted portion is probably more favorable now than ever, especially with me kind of leaning towards it more than I've ever had before. But... You know, after some of those initial pickups, you know, at the beginning, it just started to fall off. It started to fall off. It became a bore fest. You know, there were some interesting things in there, like Monkey Con having to try to save her by basically giving her his power ring because she might self-destruct or something, or, or she was shutting down, she was low on power, stuff like that. It just, you know, it, it just... You know, with those exceptions, became nothing more than a repetitive bore fest. And I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I didn't read any of the issues until it ended is because I had, you know, looking back on it now, I had this strong feeling that that's exactly what we were going to get, a repetitive bore fest. I mean, if there was anything that made the comics before that interesting is, you know, there were different scenarios that they were involved in. You had different locations, you know, different elements, different plots to the story. It wasn't always Sonic and the Freedom Fighters fighting, you know, going to New Megalopolis or whatever Robotnik's headquarters was and sabotaging him just like in the old days. And even back then, you know, even with the cartoon, they changed things up a lot too. It wasn't just, okay, they're going to sabotage, you know, Robotnik at Robotropolis, you know, kind of shut down his power a little bit. You know, sometimes it wouldn't even, sometimes a, a trip to Robotropolis wouldn't even evolve that. Sometimes it would, it would, it would evolve, excuse me there, 
it would evolve them basically looking for some, you know, mechanical parts. Like, you know, in ultrasonic, we basically got our first hints that, hey, they're probably going to build a deroboticizer, but we didn't know that until the second season. You know, we didn't know that until about the second season. So they, they varied it up. They varied it up in all kinds of ways with the first and second season. I mean, the season one finale, as I look at it, Sonic and the Secret Scrolls really, you know, changed it up, really varied it up, if you will. And that's what made Sonic Saturday AM very popular with a lot of fans. It's what made shows like that very popular with fans, period. You weren't being a repetitive storyteller doing the same thing week after week after week. And if this anything, the earlier issues of Archie Sonic, even during his comedic days, um, did you know did right was they varied things up. They made things more of a variety for fans to enjoy and read. Even when they got more serious and stuff, they you know they kept the variety there. And like I said, even before we got to this point, they kept things different. They kept things you know on a variety path. But it's like as soon as they hit the Mecha Sally deal, it's like, yeah, that's a change. That's a big change. But all of a sudden, it just went into a repetitive bore. That's all it was. It just was a repetitive bore. And nothing really interesting came out of it. It's like I said in the live stream, had they gone in the direction that some fans like Ace of Speed 68 drew one time a couple several years ago, where Sally basically was drawn in sort of a Neo-Metal Sonic Overlord-like fashion, you know, because Neo-Metal Sonic Overlord uh, is the final boss in Sonic Heroes. You know, that had she been, you know, taken in that direction to where basically she would usurp Robotnik, she would basically take control because she's now so far gone, that would have made things interesting if she would have taken on a form like that because of it. But they didn't do that. You know, they didn't do that. Instead, it was just a repetitive storytelling week, you know, month after month after month. And even though, like I said, there were some things there here and there, like little tidbits here and there that you could kind of tell were progressions in the story, you know, it just, it just felt, you know, the same. It just felt like you were just watching the same episode on repeated loop month after month. That was it, with exception of a few changes. I mean, one of the notable changes that I've talked about is when Sally is forced to, is basically ordered to go kill her brother, that the moment she gets to the hut and he's not there and she's looking out the window, if you look real closely at that, you know, panel and that image of her looking out the window, you can almost see that the, you know, facial expression is one of sad, of sadness, almost of like sorrow that she's got to go and basically do something she doesn't want to do, but she has no choice. It's like I said earlier in the live stream this morning when I quoted what uh, Sonic's Uncle Chuck said, you know, in Sonic Conversion after he was de-roboticized. He basically stated, and I quote, that they know everything, they just can't do anything about it. You know, they can't do anything, you know, to stop themselves, you know, from, you know, basically... You know, doing the actions that Robotnik Eggman is forcing them to do. You know, they can't stop themselves. It's like basically they're a prisoner in a cage just watching all this go down and they can't get out of that cage. They can't, bre- they can't break that lock, if you will. 
it reminds me something of it reminds me of something along the lines of that one episode with Rogue in the X-Men animated series where we get to see how Rogue got her powers and we see the animated debut in that series anyway of Miss Marvel who would later be Captain Marvel and we see that basically in her mind you know in the battlefield of the mind you know Rogue has to lock up this portion of Carol Danvers because if not, as we see briefly, you know, in the story towards the end, Carol Danvers will take control, will imprison Rogue and take control of her body. You know, and basically make Rogue non-existing, if, if, if you kind of see what I'm saying. And that's kind of how you would look at, you know, the robotization process as alluded to by Uncle Chuck in Sonic Conversion, and how you could probably relate that to what Sally was going through in the story. That basically, she sees everything, she knows everything, but she can't do anything about it. Because she's being programmed robotically to do what Eggman is telling her to do. Which is why, like I said, even for that little tidbit, that little moment, you could see that you know she has a bit of that free will trying to break through because she's regrettably saddened at the fact that she's being forced to do this kind of stuff. But like I said, even with moments like that, you know, thrown in there, it's still, the storyline still felt like a repetitive bore fest. The only time it would, get, it would get interesting, basically, is the correlation with both the main book and universe, especially with the Secret Freedom Fighters, when Silver agreed to join them in exchange for information of finding out who finally the traitor is. Which, again, I think a lot of us, as I mentioned in the live stream earlier today, I think a lot of us pretty much knew was going to be Sally. I mean, it's like all the arrows, all the evidence, even as early as Silver showing up and making his comic book debut, all the evidence pointed towards her. You know, it's like she's the one character that has gone through so much, you know, in the comic, depending on who the writers were, that you know it it would be not it would be basically it would basically be a surprise a very much big surprise if she wasn't the traitor you know it would be a very big surprise if she wasn't the traitor and i'll give ian finn credit he tried his best to throw us off but we all knew we all knew who it was going to be, especially if you look at Mobius 30 years later, which correlated at the same time, I think, that the Mechasali arc began. And it's like, are you being that obvious, you know, with Silver basically asking if Sally's the traitor? Are you being that obvious? I think we can already tell she is. And... You know, as soon as 247 comes around, again, that's the only time I think things really picked up because of the fact that Silver shows up and he basically explains that, you know, he now knows who the traitor is and that the, and basically that the traitor is Sally, much to, much to the anger of Sonic and Amy, uh, with the exception of Tails, you know, Silver is able to explain, look, you know, I get you're angry, I understand you're upset, 
But here, let me explain why this is the fact. And he goes on to, I'll be honest, give a good explanation. Because as I've mentioned before, historical facts in real life throughout thousands of years could be lost and the truth could you know, be lost with them. And as we have noticed throughout the past several decades, if not several years, once that secret truth is, you know, uncovered, you know, the perspective, the idea that you have of said individual or event, you know, changes drastically. So, Silver bringing up that explanation that, you know, history lost its facts and didn't realize that Sally was the traitor, but was a traitor, but by unwillingness, you know, basically didn't help them in the long run to find out who was indeed the traitor. But, again, with that being the only exception of things picking up, that would be the end of it. Because, of course, afterwards we would get the first, genesis, the first big Genesis wave, or the second big Genesis wave, which would lead into the Mega Man crossover. The point the point is, basically, when we get to the lawsuit that caused that to happen, you know, that caused that to happen, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as unfortunate as it was for us to lose a lot of characters like Julie Sue, Saffron, Jafari St. John and Hershey and others, in the long run, maybe the lawsuit did us a favor, and I know, again, I know I might get some flack for this, but I think the lawsuit did us a favor. Because think about it. If Ken Penders hadn't done what he did, and you know the story was still continuing, who knows what we would have got? Would we have gotten the sleeper agent angle that Ben Bates alluded to, if you want to believe that? Or would we have gotten you know, Ian Flynn going in a direction to where, yeah, Sally would be de-roboticized thanks to the help of a you know, robotic plant vine known as the Krazood that we had not seen since the beginning of the comic. You know, would she be de-roboticized with the help of that? Where, you know, because of de-robotization, she would get her new outfit and everything, but then also have maybe from a storyline character development uh, direction, PTSD and anguish, you know, anguish, if you will, over what she had done, you know, basically allowing her to grow and learn from that mistake. We, we don't know. We don't know what it would have been in, in, or anything. And would that have also, part of that second theory and speculation of what could have been, would that have led maybe to Sally, once they finally confront Eggman, whenever that would be, going after him by herself, you know, using her new ring blades to threaten to kill him because of what he did to her? We don't know. We don't know. But in the long run... As crazy as it sounds, and I'm not trying to side with Ken Penders here, I'm not. You know, I think what he did was dumb. I don't. I think what he did was wrong, even though he was right in some cases. You know, he should have still worked out some kind of deal in the end. But again, I'm not defending the guy. I, I'm not defending the guy whatsoever. I still feel what he did was wrong. It took, you know, because of his because of his selfishness, in a sense, it took away a lot of beloved characters, and now we're starting to find out maybe the truth of the fact that what he said is not entirely true at all. That indeed he did sign something, as you know, people have visually been able to locate and discover. 
You know, he did sign something that contractually gave ownership of the characters he made for the book to Archie and, by extension, Sega. So, so even though I don't like what he did, you know, when you really think about it, it kind of did help the comic out. You know, it did kind of help the comic get out of this repetitive bore fest and take us in a direction that was more intriguing, more enticing. I mean, the crossover, the first crossover with Mega Man and Sonic, I thought was good. I mean, if there was one ball that was dropped, as I've always said, is you have all the characters, with the exception of Tails and maybe Rouge, all turn into roboticized masters. Why not give them the little extra uh, design, design, if you will, the little extra bonus of being able to combine together into one big freaking roboticized master robot that has the self-destruction feature on there and make things more complicated. You know, if they would have done that, that would have been great. That would have been awesome. Same thing, you know, very similar to what they could have done with the Metal Virus arc. You could have had all the you could have had all the infected uh, Mobians, because that's what they are, Mobians, basically being, you know, engulfed by maybe what looks like to be a droplet, like basically you have the goo around them, you know, kind of engulf them in like a little droplet, and you have them all flying towards each other into one big blob that becomes, you know, bigger and bigger until it becomes basically a huge Zombot-like entity that makes things a lot more complicated. And you see basically in the middle of the entity or throughout the entity all the floating Mobians that are still Zombots. You know, you could have... You could have, you know, you could have easily done something like that, and it would have made, you know, the metal virus a lot more interesting, especially towards the end. But, you know, they did. But he didn't do that. Just like he didn't do that with the roboticized masters. But still, you know, with, you know, with that little tidbit though, I thought the crossover with Mega Man was good. I really did. And the ending led into storyline-wise. What we got with the with the retcon and reboot, or the soft retcon and reboot, however you look at it, because basically Eggman, you know, was so pissed off at the fact that, you know, once again he thinks he has this unstoppable plan that not even Sonic can throw throw if you will, throw if you will, easy, easy for me to say, throw if you will, that not even Sonic could, you know, mess up. And yet, in the end, once again, Sonic does that, and he's pissed. He's like, no, I'm not going to lose this again. I'm not going to, to, to lose to this guy once again. Showing And storyline-wise, showing that he's still kind of not all there yet. Because, as we see in 2.30, when he finds out that, you know, time had reversed, everything had been messed up, he starts to lose it again until he remembers, oh yeah, Sonic's a, a constant of chaos, you know. I've got to go with, you know, my my second plan, my plan B, if you will. And you kind of see that, like I said, at the end of the crossover with Mega Man, where he basically is losing it again because he does not want to lose to Sonic once more. That he has everything, and he doesn't, or he's on the verge of having everything, and he he doesn't want to lose. And his motive is, hey, if I can't have nothing, you can't have. If I can't have the world, you can't have the world. Kind of deal. But what the end result is, is everybody is restored. Everything is reset kind of in a new environment, you know, kind of, you know, changed around, you know, uh, pretty much for the better in storyline, you know, when the characters look at it, especially Sonic, for the better somewhat. 
Uh, and maybe even somewhat better for the comic because it became a little bit more simpler and more streamlined. And sometimes, you know, when comics go through that, that's a good thing. That is indeed a good thing. Even though, unfortunately, like I said, it caused us to lose, behind the scenes, a lot of beloved characters. It caused us to lose a lot of them. But, in the end, you know, we got back the Freedom Fighters. We got back the Freedom Fighters. And that kind of is a silver lining, behind all this. Again, I'm not defending what Cam Penders did. I'm not defending that at all. I think if he would have worked something out, you know, with Archie Comics, you know, that not only would the characters be back, you know, or not back, but not only would the characters remain in the comic, but if the plan, maybe, hear me out, was to do something similar to what we saw with the crossover, that who knows what you know, new redesigns a character like Julie Sue, Hershey, Jaffray St. John, and others uh, would have got. Who knows what they would have, you know, what they would have came up with design-wise for them. They would have kept them the same, or they would have changed them up a little bit. We don't know. But none of that happened. All because Ken Penders, you know, basically felt like he was old royalties, which... Honestly, in a sense, he was, but now, as I mentioned, more evidence has come out that maybe he wasn't telling the entire truth. But unfortunately, it's too late to even bring that to the court's attention to make them realize, oops, we made a mistake, we should have favored Archie. But be that as it may, be that as it may, when you really look back on it, I guess we can, I guess we do kind of have the lawsuit to thank for this, to thank for this boar fest known as the Mecca Sally Arc, which started out good, but then fell off its wheels to the point that you couldn't get those wheels back on. You know, I guess we kind of have the, you know, we kind of have this lawsuit to thank for it because now, not only does it give, you know, Ian Flynn, you know, out of nowhere, probably unexpectedly to him, you know, an opportunity to reset things and start off with a cleaner slate. But it gets us back to what made the comic what it was. You know, not just more simplified, not just more streamlined and all that, but back to a variety base of stories. Yes, the only difference was every story that was varied throughout all the issues were all connected to that one big Sonic Unleashed uh, tie-in story. Sonic Unleashed World's shattered story, if you will. Um, Even though it was all tied into that, it still varied. It still felt like a lot of the stories were their own individual stories, but the exception is they were connected into one, which I'm totally cool with. I'm totally cool with, you know, in the end. But, like I said, like I said, when you look back on it, one, it's hard to believe it's going to be or not going to be, but it is, I should say, 11 years since the Mecha Sally arc began. And it's hard to believe that next spring is going to mark basically 10 years since it ended. And not only that, but next spring is going to mark basically the reason why it ended. You know, a, decade's wor- a decade later, it's going to mark, you know, the true behind-the-scenes reason why it ended. But when we really think about it, it might have been for the best. You know, it might have been the best thing. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes 
there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes, not just in entertainment, but a lot of places, to where certain changes will occur without explanation until later on that basically could be for the betterment of the company. It could be. For example, right now, AEW is kind of in a rebuilding phase. They're kind of in a rebuilding phase right now because of what happened um, after, you know, after the media brawl, or during the media brawl, during, not brawl, but basically, well, that's what's called the media brawl out, but during the uh, media scrum of, you know, after All Out. You know, they're still rebuilding from that. You know, they're still rebuilding from what occurred there. And even though Tony Khan gave no explanation as to exactly why the World Championship and the Trios Championships were becoming vacated or, or who he was vacating them from, basically stripping them from, in the end, it feels like it's kind of done a lot better for AEW. True, it's taken time. It's taken time, probably going to take a lot longer, but still it feels like they're rebuilding themselves back up and basically restarting or trying to slowly restart from scratch, which sometimes is a good thing, even if it's due to legal behind-the-scenes issues like what was going on over there after that whole brawl during the media scrub. So when you look, so the way it correlates, so what I'm trying to say is the way it correlates with what I'm saying here is that when you think about it, when you really think about it, you know, the Mecca Sally, you know, situation, you know, the way it ended, even though we may not be fond of how it ended behind the scenes, you know, maybe we should be a little happy. Maybe we should be a little glad that, you know, it ended the way it, you know, it did, even if it was due to behind the scenes legal issues. Because, you know, like Cyberpunk Jordan said in his video, how, you know, or didn't say but kind of alluded to, how much longer were we going to have to deal with this? Especially if they were going to go with the sleeper agent angle. How much longer would we have to deal with it before we'd be like, enough's enough, we're done. You know, we're tapping out. And honestly, I don't think any of us would be able to deal with it much longer. You know, to be frank with you. To be totally frank with you. I don't, I don't think any of us would be able to deal with it much longer. But, again, that's where the silver lining comes in. Like I, like I said, and I know I sound like I'm repeating things myself, but like I said, I don't agree with what Ken Penders did behind the scenes. I think things could have been handled better. But the silver lining is maybe he did us all a favor. And maybe he did the comic a favor. And that's really about it. That's really how you have to look at it. Um, you know, unfortunately and maybe fortunately. You know, that maybe he did us a favor. Because when you really think about it, when you really think about it, the characters still live on through, Archie Son through places like Archie Sonic Online and other webcomic artists like Glitcher and Game Boy Sage. They still all live with live on in those people's interpretations of events that continue within the same continuity. Whether it's a crossover with Sly Koopa and Amelita Fox that Game Boy Sage has, whether it's a more darker interpretation of the story and taking it in directions like you know that you probably wouldn't have seen in the comic period, like what Glitcher's doing, or basically keeping it 
true and traditional to its original run, like what Archie Sonic Online's doing, the characters are still there. They're still there, you know, as if nothing's really changed. And honestly, between the three, Archie Sonic Online feels more like, you know, what we would have gotten afterwards than anything else, in my opinion. But, but in the end, in the end, as crazy as it sounds, I think we do have to give a little credit to Ken Penders doing what he did. Yes, again, he could have gone gone. With, he could have gone in in a direction that was better for both sides, himself and the comic, and the fans. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he, I'm not you know, I'm not denying that. I should say I'm not denying that. But honestly. You know, I I think, like I said, the silver lining is, you know, the lawsuit got us out of what we were in and put us in a, pretty much put us in a better place, even if it was at the price of losing some beloved characters. And that's really how you have to look at it, you know, 11 years to 10 years later. But what do you guys think? I know this audio video went on longer than it should Sounded more like I was rambling than I normally do. I do apologize. But what do you guys think? Do you think, when you look back on it, despite how you feel about how Ken approached this and everything from a behind-the-scenes legal standpoint, that maybe the lawsuit did us a favor, you know, and got us out of the Mecca Sally Borefest that we had and took us more into a more positive, more traditional, more, you know, back to almost its roots, if you will, um, version of the comic, where it was more variety than anything, even if it was all part of one continuity story. What are your thoughts? Let me know down below in the comments, as well as in the live chat during the premiere, or during the premiere, I should say, like the video, live chat during the premiere, your thoughts, as well as comment down below. Also, hit that subscribe button and that no and that bell notification button. Uh, to, as I get myself more coffee there, to know when more content will be arriving on my channel. Also, check me out at patreon.com slash bwroses with a $1 or $3 tier. I am considering a $5 Q&A tier, but that is still going to be in the works. When that happens, if it happens, I will let you know. Also, support me at Venmo at Brian-Warmer-2, Cash App at BWRoses98, where I will get your financial support right away. Also, ladies and gentlemen, check me out at BWRoses Discussions, all your favorite audio podcast locations except for Pandora, uh, where you will probably get an audio version of this as well as the live stream from earlier today. Also... Also, ladies and gentlemen, check me out at DeviantArt.com. says BVW1979. Check me out at Vimo at BWRoses for content you can't get here on YouTube. Also, check me out at my Teespring store for merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Got some Rally for Sally stuff there that you might be interested in, as well as some new MLP-related merchandise. So, until next time, guys, let me know, again, what your thoughts are in the live chat and in the comments. And until then, I'll talk to you all later.